Welcome back to the Laces Out Fantasy Football Podcast. I am your host, Nathan Ray, and we are still drinking. Never stopped. Never stopped. And right now, I'm still surrounded by four degenerates, including... Corey Ginsberg. Mike Falcon. This is Tyler Baker. And I'm Bobby Vito. And today, we're talking about dynasty rankings, specifically our consensus dynasty rankings, which are actually posted on our website and also our Instagram, that's probably the best way to go about doing it, because right now it's a Wix, and we're ballers on a budget, and I'm not going to tell you what the URL is. <laughs> so, <laughs> but I really, really quick, I wanted to move forward with actual, our, our actual consensus rankings, including the first overall is Josh Jacobs, number two, David Montgomery, number three, Nkeel Harry, number four, A.J. Brown, five, Paris Campbell, six, Darrell Henderson, 7, Miles Sanders, 8, DK Metcalf, 9, Mecole Hardman, and 10, Debo Samuel. And today we're just going to go through um, everybody decided to choose one guy inside our top consensus as well as one guy outside the top consensus. Um, basically, we're going to make a case for or against their current ranking. Um, and right now we're actually going to start with Tyler. I want to know who you wanted to start with inside or outside your top consensus i'm gonna start i'm gonna start outside okay talk about hakeem butler mm-hmm. i think that we haven't we haven't went at 12 on the on the consensus which is is it is a you know decent spot i suppose but i think he goes a lot higher um this has a lot to do with his college production which was elite he was in the top 10 in the country in receiving yards last year um he's been consistently elite at the college level and he's going into a situation that i think is really gonna put him in a situation to put up a lot of points and there's a couple reasons for that the first one being that Kyler Murray's never had a receiver like this in any offense that he's been in he's been in this air raid offense but he's never had you know a 6'5 227 receiver that's gonna go out there and catch everything that he throws his way which is gonna be huge for him as one of these impulse quarterbacks who's gonna be on the run kind of throwing the ball around having somebody that he knows he can just throw the ball up to you know when he gets in trouble is going to be huge, and I think that that's going to be Hakeem Butler's role in the offense. Bobby? Um, I am, as a Cardinals fan, definitely excited about the prospect of Hakeem Butler doing well. Um, but if we want to talk about uh, reception yards, um, and something I noticed that a lot of you guys is Annie Isabella is way lower on your rankings than Hakeem Butler, um, but he was led the um, college in all receiving yards last year and he was drafted much higher by the Cardinals. What do you think about that? I think that that's all well and good. I think they're going to do different things. I think that Andy Isabella being on the, you know, in college he was the number one guy on that team. I don't think that he's going to be that number one guy for the Cardinals. I think he's going to run a lot more slot routes. He's going to be more of the uh, short target guy. He's going to do a lot of dump off screen type stuff. But I think Hakeem Butler is going to be the one who's going to just rack up receptions because he's going to be the one that they go to on third down because he knows on third and eight, he can go run that curl route, and Murray can put the ball basically somewhere in the vicinity, <laughs> and he's going to catch it and bring it in for the first down. Mike, it, I do kind of agree with you. I mean, like he's six foot five, and that's huge, and that you you can't teach height, right? So you know he could go up and get that ball. Um, my issue is for a guy who's playing on probably going to be playing on the outside, right? You know, and a guy that big, you want somebody who's going to be a big red zone target and Hakeem Butler struggled a lot with drops in college and he has a tendency of catching the ball with his body 
And with a guy that big, you want him to be making these big contested catches. You know, you want Kyler Murray to just be lofting it up and Hakeem Butler to go up, push that guy down, grab that ball and run for a touchdown. And, you know, I think there's some bad habits that he needs to break before he can get there. And that's something he's going to have to overcome in the NFL. Yeah, I, I think that those are great points. Want to hear what Nate says before I respond? Yeah, I was just curious. I mean, when you look at a dynasty draft, it doesn't mean you you're drafting them for right now. Are you are you really more drafting him for the future, now year two, year three, or is this immediate? You think it's gonna he's gonna make an immediate impact and he's gonna be fantasy relevant right now? So I'm actually gonna I'm gonna say a little bit of both. Okay. I think that and for the same reason actually, I think that he's gonna make a bigger impact than people expect year one. Um, and, and this is actually just something that I learned recently, but him and Kyler Murray are roommates. They've been roommates during rookie mini camp into OTAs, and they're going to be roommates during training camp. And I think that that sort of chemistry is huge. Number one, coming into the league as rookies, taking over an offense, essentially. Them just, all they're going to do is sit around and talk about football all the time like we do, right? And how well do we know how each other think? So that has to do with an immediate impact because he's going to be the one that Kyler Murray's looking to first a lot of the time they're going to be able to grow together. So two or three years down the road, that's going to be a connection that's unreal. And to the red zone thing, I think that the, the red zone, the going up being aggressive for the ball is something that can be taught. And I also think that it has a lot to do with chemistry. So once Murray and Hakeem Butler learn each other and figure out, you know, if I put the ball here, he's going to do this. If I run this route, he's going to put the ball there. That chemistry is going to grow. And the red zone, I'm not concerned about the red zone at all because really all you need down in the red zone is for each player to know what the other one's doing. And I think that that's going to be right where they're at. Go ahead, Mike. Do you think that if Kyler Murray falls asleep with his shoes on, Hakeem Butler draws all over his face like I as roommates? Or do you be, think they're kind of best buddies? I would be... Well, you can you can draw all over your best buddy's face if he falls asleep with his shoes on. I guess, I guess you can do both. Let's be clear. Let's not draw lines here. You can do whatever you want. To you can draw lines on their face. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you can draw lines. Rules are face. rules. If the shoes are on, the face is open game. Yeah, so no, I think uh, I think Hakeem Butler is uh, a little bit underrated as far as Dynasty goes. And I, I do think that, in my opinion, he is a little bit more valuable than Andy Isabella just because he is that big body. He is that kind of, like, go-route receiver. He could be a better, you know, red zone target if he can break some of these bad habits. So I'm looking forward, I'm looking forward to seeing him, not necessarily this year, but, like, maybe three years from now once – that offense has seen a little stability and once they've kind of gotten to grow together. Yes, I agree. Okay, sounds good. And I think that's that's part of the reason why, I mean, three of us agree that Butler should be at 12, but maybe a little bit higher, but also Andy Isabella at 15. That's why we have two guys shaking their head at this entire conversation. <laughs> but we're going to move forward because I think somebody might be talking about Andy Isabella. If, they, if there's nobody is, then we'll probably save a segment for Corey at the very end. <laughs> but anyway, so who's your, who's your second guy that you have, Tyler? So my second guy is DK Metcalf. We have we have him at eight, I believe. No, he yeah he's he's sitting right at eight. I think he should go a little bit lower. I think that you know this is dynasty, so it's okay to pick a player based on potential. But I just see a lot of red flags when it comes to his potential in particular. Um, the thing you know the things that constantly come up with him are his agility, right? His limited route tree. Really, all that we know he does well is run in a straight line and catch the ball, which is great. Um, but he's able to do that in college because he's bigger and faster than everybody in college. I don't think that that translates to the NFL as well as people seem to assume it doesn't. And I've talked about this with DK in the past. 
you can come into the league, be the biggest, fastest guy, and if you don't have the technique, then it's it's not gonna, it's going to be for nothing essentially. And I think that we see wide receivers like this come into the league a lot of the time, and that that's really my biggest concern with him. Uh, but go ahead, Nate. I mean, I I completely agree that he he. I mean, if, especially if you look at the tape, everybody can go Google it right now. It's kind of comical how awful he is at running a route. But that, I, I've also seen many other guys do that in the league and actually become successful. Look at Des Bryant, right? It the, uh, yes, it took a little bit. Go ahead. The Seahawks OTA you were talking about video? Yeah, it was, it was brutal. It was actually brutal. It <laughs> yeah. took him like 16 steps to actually make a stop and move and turn around. Uh, but but that's not, not the point is Des Bryant had three very good years where he had, what, how many how – many, touchdowns that he have he had 16 touchdowns 13 touchdowns 12 touchdowns nine touchdowns he did pretty well and that also came with not because des bryant is an amazing player i think he can go up and get the 50 50 ball which is something that he can do mm-hmm. uh but it also comes with the lack of actually people around him that russell wilson's gonna throw to he has tyler lockett and who else no that's that's a great argument and <laughs> i i do think the only the only issue with that is gonna come down to I, I like the Des Bryant comparison. I think it's valid, but I think that it's flawed in the sense that Des Bryant was in a different situation. He played for the Cowboys when Tony Romo was the quarterback. It was a very high-volume passing attack. They loved to chuck the ball around. That is not the case with the Seahawks. They've been in the bottom third uh, in pass attempts in the league for the last five years, and that, I mean, they were 32nd in the league last year. So not only it's, – it's one thing if you're going to be a low-volume, low-percentage receiver who's going to get the ball thrown to him, you know, 10, 11, 12 times a game, and you can go up in those 50-50s, the ones that you get are good, the ones that you, you know, whatever. But DK's not going to be in – he's not in for that sort of target share where he's going to be looking at 10 targets a game, and those 50-50 balls are going to work, right? Mike, what's up? Well, I mean, his college production was pretty lackluster. Like, in 2018, he had less than 600 yards – he wasn't even the best wide receiver on his team. That's A.J. Brown. So both A.J. Brown and D.K. Metcalf played for Old Miss, and A.J. Brown crushed D.K.'s production. So it, to me, I really don't understand. Like, if this guy didn't have the combine numbers that he did, would we even be talking about him in our top ten at all? I love you bringing up the combine. I think that, I mean, the 40 speed, obvious. But let's talk about the three-cone drill and the 20-yard shuttle that were infamously slower than Tom Brady's. And that's when I talk about the route running. And, and yes, Dez did learn to run routes eventually, but I think that with these sort of ridiculously low agility scores, I don't know that he can be taught how to run routes properly. Exactly. This guy seems like Al Davis's wet dream, right? Like, this guy, if Al Davis was still alive, this guy would be going first overall by the Oakland Raiders. Like... Yeah, I, think- I don't really see a whole lot outside of that. Corey, what do you think? My thing is with DK Metcalf is if I draft him, I don't ever feel like I'm going to be comfortable putting him in my starting lineup. He seems like he's going to be way more of a best ball type player going forward because he's such a boomer bust when you are going to have... I mean, the Seahawks are a run-first team. Russell Wilson has the rapport already with Tyler Lockett. We don't know exactly what Huck, what uh, DK Metcalf is going to be doing uh, so far this year. But what I will say is that because of his college stats and because of his route running ability, I just don't see him producing the numbers that we're going to be 
probably wanting to see from him in the next two to three years. Well, and I will say, too, uh, I've been hearing that Jerron Brown has been impressing the Seahawks a lot. And, you know, he's no slouch coming out of Arizona. Oh, guy love that, me some Jerron Brown. Oh, I'm sure you do, Corey. So, all right, Corey. Wait, well, so, what, who are your guys? All right. So, uh, I love my guy. Uh, so, my guy outside of the top ten is uh, J.J. Arcega-Whiteside. Uh, he's a six foot two, two hundred and twenty five pound wide receiver. Big boy playing for Philly. Philly. <laughs> okay. um, people are really down on him, and it is frustrating. After I was so I was high on our Sega White side to begin with. In my personal rankings, I'm pretty sure I had he was definitely in my top ten. I actually had him ranked at nine, and a large part of that is because. Just the game film itself, this is a guy that does go up and get the ball. He had the highest contested catch rating last year with 62%. He caught 20 of 32 contested catches last year uh, and finished the year with 63 receptions, 1,059 yards, and 14 touchdowns. This is a guy that is going to be targeted on third down receptions, uh, and red zone targets. He is going to be a beast, and Carson Wentz is going to rely on him. So my concern with JJ and Philly is that they they really kind of already have guys there that, that do those things. So in terms of like the third down receptions, the one that Carson Wentz is going to be looking at, that's Zach Kurtz, right? And the guy that goes up and makes the contested catches is Alshon Jeffrey. And I know that Alshon's not going to be there forever, but when you even, the thing that worries me is, is Doug Pedersen doesn't like to focus on one player in his receiving core or in his running, in his backfield, right? So, I mean, sorry, Alshon, a much more established receiver, ended up with 92 targets last year, but not exactly elite numbers. They're not bad, but they're not great in terms of production. So I, I'm curious. I, I worry about how JJ will come in, fill that role, and you know the production going from there. Really quick, Mike, I'm going to get to you in a second. Uh, the situation is concerning. Um, really, the anybody in the Philly offense is someone that I take a pause on. But watching his game film, I, I cannot stress enough. Seeing him go up and get these passes is something that it, it reminded me of players like Larry Fitzgerald, someone that just had the hand ability to catch almost every single ball that was coming his way in traffic. And that to me is so much more important than speedy wide receivers that get out in the space because you're going to be catching passes more in traffic way more often than when you're breaking outside. And when you have that ability, I think you're so much more worthwhile as a wide receiver and someone that you should be focused on taking. Do some research, check out the game film, it's impressive. No, I, I absolutely agree that, that that contested catch receiver is very valuable. I'm just saying that they have a contested catch receiver and they really haven't used him, you know, with giving him elite sort of availability in terms of receptions and everything with targets. So and that's, that's my concern. There's definitely an argument for that, but as far as where Alshon Jeffrey lays, I think J.J. Arcega-Whiteside is going to be a better wide receiver than him in the long run. Whoa, buddy. Hey, you're talking about Alshon that way. I mean, he, he is on contract until 2021, and I really don't see Whiteside beating him out until Jeffrey is gone. 
I mean, believe me, I do like his numbers. I think that he is one of the best wide receivers to come out of the Pac-12. Um, and he definitely has, out of our consensus top 20 rankings, he has the highest number of receiving touchdowns. Like, I agree that he is great in the red zone. He's great at contested catches. But I just don't see him becoming valuable for three or four years. And then, you know, I mean, God, who knows what that team's going to look like by then. And the beauty is, is that if you're playing Dynasty right, you have taxi squads. And this is definitely a player I would not plug in year one. Sure. Maybe even year two. This is a player that I would sit on putting him in that taxi squad for those first couple of years. Unless something happens. We never know what's going to happen to the older players. Deshaun Jackson probably is not going to play all 16 games this season. Alshon has a history of soft tissue Alshon Jeffries, exactly. So. And that is going to increase the stock of J.J. Uh, Nelson Aguilar, another name on that receiver He's a list. much better wide receiver than Nelson Aguilar. I'm sure he will be. I will say that time, comfortably. I think he, Aguilar will be higher on the depth chart, like you were saying, for a couple of years before. According to the depth chart right now, J.J. is beating Nelson Aguilar out. He really? is wow. uh, considered the wide receiver three, and Nelson Aguilar is considered the wide receiver four. Jackson is two? Mm-hmm. Jackson is two, yes. All right, well, there you, you have it, folks, the official Philadelphia receiver uh, roster. Way too early depth chart. Way too early depth chart. Support to look at though and then my second player guys um is someone that we all agree is our number three uh wide receiver uh or number three player coming out of the uh draft and that's Nikhil harry and i love Nikhil harry the player is spectacular i hate his situation and the reason why i hate his situation is that bill belichick has been on record stating how much he despises rookie wide receivers he hates college players in the sense that in the sense that he does not like the habits that they picked up in college he does not like the offenses that they've run in college and let's just take a look i mean does bill belichick not hate anybody i feel like he hates everybody at least a little bit i just want to take a look and see uh first off their draft history dating back from 2002 i'm not going to go through all the names but i'm going to pick out a few and see a if you even know who these guys are, and B, uh, whether or not they are still in the league. So let's take a look. Uh, 2008 pick, Matthew Slater, six foot zero, 205 pound, round five. Uh, Brandon Tate, 2009, six foot one, 195 pounds. I think I've heard round of Brandon three. Tate. Brandon Tate, for sure. Yeah, yeah a decent career. Uh, Aaron Dobson? Yeah. Yeah. He's all right. Took him in a rookie draft once. Yeah. Uh, six foot three, 210 pounds. The average, this is what's concerning for me, is that typically they only pick wide receivers around round four. They have taken wide receivers in the second round. Uh, he has, and then they're they, they all small wide receivers. They're about five foot 11 inches and average about 199 pounds. And most of them aren't in the league anymore. And this isn't saying that this is going to happen to Nikhil Harry. The problem is, is that I don't know how they're going to utilize a rookie wide receiver because they don't have any stats to back up any utilization because they just don't run in that offense. Oh, Corey, people want to argue with you. Please. So I think, um, I mean, a lot of what you're saying is true. Uh, Never before has Bill Belichick drafted such a gigantic, uh, talented receiver in the first round. And I think that actually just goes to prove how special and kill Harry is if Belichick is willing to go against, like, 
he's some guy who's been set in his ways, and obviously it's been successful. Like he has a, a method. And, and how dare you doubt board. him? How I know. dare you doubt Belichick? Yeah, Belichick is the GM. He decided to pick and kill Harry. Absolutely. The Cardinals, we wanted him, right? We were going to take him in the second round. Arguably, sure. Like, maybe we still want... Uh, anyways, but, like, it was... I felt robbed when the Patriots took and kill Harry. I felt like the Patriots did what they do, is disappoint everybody that's not a Patriots fan and just kind of ruin football for the rest of us. <laughs> but that's what it felt like again. I think and kill Harry, I mean, he fills in that slot that Gronkowski left. There's a lot of targets going around. Edelman's the only real surefire receiver that we know there. Um, James White, maybe. Yeah. Uh, but he's kind of falling off, too. So I, I really do like and kill Harry. Nate, coming to you really quick, I just want to make one more point on his situation in New England is that he has the greatest quarterback in the world throwing to him. However, his quarterback rating has been going down year after year as he's getting older, as to be expected. And we also don't know how much longer Tom Brady has in the gas? It could be one more year, two years, three years, ten he's years. Until he's forty-five. However long he says. We, he's playing until he's forty-five. We have no idea to be certain, and let's say he only has three years left in the tank. Who the <laughs> hell is going to be throwing to kill Harry the ball after that? We don't know. The situation just scares me, and I love Nikhil Harry as a player, but taking him that high, I don't know, man. It's worrisome. Here's here's my small case. I mean, I was looking at your draft board over here of all the wide receivers that he, uh, that Bill Belichick has taken. Most of them have been in the seventh round, and then the last one that was in the second round was Aaron Dobson that you mentioned. And the last time he drafted somebody of his caliber, which not good caliber, but the last time he drafted somebody that high, he had 72 targets in 2013, which was his rookie year. If Nikhil Harry has 72 targets, he's fantasy relevant in my book. And if you give him a second year of more than 72 targets, which I believe will happen, with, even with a crappy quarterback, I think he's on the same level of, say, a DeAndre Hopkins who had Matt Schaub and all those other people who had awful quarterbacks, but he was still re- fantasy relevant and in the top five. That's the caliber I think that Kill Harry is, which is why I'm taking him top five. I get what you're saying about Tom Brady being gone, but he doesn't eat strawberries. So he's, he, for the rest, for four <laughs> straight years, he's still going to be in the league. I still think he's going to have Tom Brady throw him in the ball. Hot takes. Hot takes. <laughs> Hot, takes. Hot takes on strawberries. Beautiful. And just to, to bounce off that one more thing is, like, he's going to benefit from the schemes of the Patriots. Like, there's so many times when you're watching them play and Brady just throws it to some guy who's just, like, open. There's no receivers. Or there's no coverage on him for, like, 10 miles. Like, regardless of his talent, his draft capital, all of that, he's going to get schemed in extra fantasy points. And I think that that's one I of the reasons. I hope I'm wrong. Why Edelman is so successful. I love Nikhil Harry. Watching him in ASU was amazing. I wanted him to be a Cardinal. Uh, I really hope I'm wrong. Am I still targeting him if I have the number three pick in the rookie draft of Dynasty? Probably, because he is the best wide receiver in that class. Just saying, situation is a little worrisome. Something to take note. Something to watch for when yeah. training camp hits. So basically the last 10 minutes, you didn't listen to it. So, <laughs> so we he would still take him. <laughs> <laughs> no, in all seriousness, I get, I get what you're saying. you be a little bit weary, but I think that four of us disagree with you wholeheartedly. Uh, I think what we're going to do from here on out is actually we're going to go one person at a time so we don't have to hear our voice for so long. That's, uh, that's on me. That's that being a bad host. I made Tyler do that, so I apologize, Corey, as well. But I want to start with my first guy, and then we're going to go to Corey after this. And I'm going to start with Justice Hill. Okay, We're switching the game up here because we're brand new at this. But Justice Hill, 
for 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 the Ravens. He is a guy that he's the fastest rookie coming out of college, and I'm super excited about this guy, especially because of the guy that I'm comparing him to. I didn't really see this online. I actually just happened to happen upon it, and I'm gonna throw out some stats to you guys, right? If I say both guys are five foot ten, I'm comparing two guys. Five foot ten, one's one nine hundred ninety-eight pounds, one's two hundred fourteen. The combine results, 40-yard dash, one ran a 4.4, one ran a 4.5. Right, vertical, 40-inch, 39.5. Broad jump, 130, 131. Bench press, 21, 15. If I had to just throw those out to you guys, you probably wouldn't be able to say, I know definitively who that is, but I did talk about it before this podcast. You might be able to, but I'm curious. Do any of you know who the second person is? I don't know. I'm taking the guy with the bigger bench press because I like pecs. Okay, that's fair. You see, you probably... Okay. I'm going to say that the second guy might mm-hmm. be Alvin Kamara. Yeah, the, okay. I wonder how you knew that. <laughs> <laughs> but, the, but it's actually... And, and the more I actually dug into these, um, these results, the more I was like, well, he's behind Mark Ingram coming into the league. This is awkward. This is a little bit weird. This is awesome. This is actually working out for my case. Uh, just so you guys know, Justice Hill, we have him consensus ranking at 18. Uh... After I did this research, I wish I had much higher. Um, but the, also the exciting part I have about him is even looking at draft grades. Even though I don't like draft grades, I don't really believe in them because they've gotten it wrong so many times. But looking at draft grades, I mean, those guys, have their profession is grading these guys and saying how good they're going to be. So Justice Hill, they graded him at a 5.48 out of 10. Alvin Kamara got a 5.92 out of 10, and he is a top three pick. Behind Mark Ingram, by the way. So they're hiring, they're, they're basically, they're getting a guy who is of the same caliber, in my opinion, in going into the same situation as Alvin Kamara. Yes, the depth chart for the Ravens right now, you have Mark Ingram, Gus Edwards, Kenneth Dixon, and Justice Hill. But I'm, right now, I'm looking at Gus Edwards and Kenneth Dixon. The reason why they didn't break out when they both had an opportunity to do so is because they're just not good players. Yeah, Kenneth Dixon is that downhill, downhill guy. He's big. He can do that. Uh, Gus Edwards has the elusiveness that Justice Hill has, but he's just, just clearly not as fast in the pass-catching pass ability. Uh, coming out of college, just so you guys know, uh, Justice Hill is the best pass-catcher in the draft class of the running backs. That's He caught one more pass, actually, than... Josh Jacobs, who came off the board number one overall, um, he has the highest, and he has a higher cast patch, uh, cast patch, pass catch rating than Josh Jacobs, and I'm really excited about it. Um, and Mike, do you have, do you have something you have to say? Well, so I, I like Justice Hill quite a bit, um, and I think that he is a great value pick in probably the second round of a dynasty draft. But I think it's a little disingenuous just to say that he is Alvin Kamara just because he's behind Mark Ingram. <laughs> and they have a similar profile. I mean, you know, people like Alvin Kamara don't come around that often, and Justice Hill is an undersized guy. Mm-hmm. He's not particularly good at pass protection. He's never going to be that three down back. He just doesn't profile like that. You know, and one of my big worries is, you know, what happens when people figure out the Ravens' offense? You know, it kind of seemed like it happened in the playoffs last year. The, when the Ravens played in the playoffs... Their offense got shut down. And, you know, Lamar Jackson cannot bail out the team like Drew Brees does, right? Like, I mean, if people figure out the run game for the Saints, Drew Brees just throws a 90-yard touchdown pass to whoever the fuck is alive and, you know, <laughs> running down the field. But, <laughs> but but Lamar Jackson is probably not going to do that. So, you know, I, I think that their offense can be figured out, and it, 
it just it just scares me a little bit. I get I get being a little bit worried, but worried. But Marty Morningweg, the, the offensive coordinator um, for the Ravens. I mean, if you if you even look at Edwards and Dixon last at the end of last year, yeah. they were averaging five point two yards per carry. They're not good running backs. And you look at somebody who has the caliber and the speed of a Justice Hill in a PPR league. I like the upside. I like him being behind Mark. Mark Ingram, who's old, and I, I mean, sure, I think he's going to have a decent year, but I think they need a change of pace back. I don't think it's going to be Edwards nor Dixon. Um, oh, Tyler, do you have something to say? Oh, I do want to just, I was just going to follow up. I wanted to right. tack on a bit of support for, for Hill in, in this argument as far as their offense getting figured out goes. Um, when they drafted Lamar Jackson, they brought in Greg Roman with the expectation that Lamar Jackson would be taking over a year later for Joe Flacco, so they mm-hmm. were working on a playbook specifically for Lamar Jackson. He ended up coming in halfway through the season, so that playbook was half-developed. So Greg Roman's had that entire second half of the season and an entire off-season now to go in and finish okay. inputting this plan that he had for Lamar Jackson. That We are gonna we didn't see the finished project, product last season. We're going to see it this season. So I, I'm not so concerned about the whole, like, their offense getting figured and out. That's a good point. And in, in looking at Lamar Jackson behind at the helm, I mean, he runs a sub 4-5, and so does Justice Hill. That's disgusting, and that's scary. I mean, you can figure out an offense all you want, but speed definitely kills. Look at Tyreek Hill. Absolutely ridiculous. They know what you're going to do, but you can't do anything about it because he's just that much faster than you. And having two guys on the field that are going to spread the offense, I'm pretty excited about it. Especially, real quick, and I'll come to you right, right back to you, Mike. He only fumbled five times in three years. That's great. That's ball security. And what does what does John Harbaugh hate the most? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he hates if you fumble the ball. You're taken out of the game. We've seen it so many times over the last six, seven years. He's like, you're done if you actually fumble the ball. Go ahead. Well, and just another thing that I'm worried about is, you know, he's a very small guy. He doesn't rely on power. I, I just don't think he's going to be breaking a lot of tackles, which is something that I think Kamara can do. Um you know, and he has a tendency to try to go for the big play in the backfield. So he's just bouncing around. And, you know, we see with rookies a lot, um, them bouncing around, trying to bounce it outside, and then they lose a bunch of yards. So, you know, and th- those are things that can be developed, can be fixed, but, you know, sometimes they don't. So I, I do like Justice Hill a lot, but... I'm just not without my reservations. And even you're absolutely proud to be with your reservations, and I was the same way with Tariq Cohen. You might know of him. There's fan. <laughs> I was uh, never. So... I never had any reservations about Tariq Cohen. Oh, that's interesting that you say that because the guy's five six and weighs one seventy nine. You're talking about height and weight and not being able to break tackles. He's able to do it real quick. I'll come to you. But Justice Hill, even if he gets, let's say he gets eight to ten touches per game, which I think is doable this season. Yeah. Somebody they draft that high. Right. Even if he were able to do that, Tariq Cohen, his first year, 2017, 8.95 carries per, per, per game, and he was fantasy relevant. We're talking about fantasy relevancy. I think that he's, I think he's at, at least similar caliber to Tariq <laughs> Cohen and a bigger back. I think he's going to be used a little bit more. What do you have to say about that, Mike? Nate, don't you ever talk shit about my boyfriend. <laughs> I didn't talk about him. I love Tariq Cohen. I'm just saying, if he's able to do it, I think that Justice Hill, a bigger back and a little bit faster, is going to be able to do it. Yeah, you better find That's my case. Tariq. I love him. Yeah, absolutely. I draft him in all my leagues. But moving forward, let's go to, let's go to Bobby. Who's your first guy? All right, let's talk about a uh, reliable uh, running back that you can take early in Dynasty um, and will produce for you, pretty much guaranteed at this point, um, starting year one, and that is uh, Darrell Henderson. Now, we've already covered him before. Uh, He's the uh, running back drafted by the Rams. Um, 
and I, you know, I chose to write about Daryl Henderson before the news came out. I think it was yesterday. Um, and it's not only news, but the announcement that Todd Gurley is no longer going to be the bell cow moving forward. Um, I think it's been pretty obvious to anyone that had him or had to play against a team that could have had him last year. Um, you know, Gurley's knees are a huge issue. He's obviously a transcendent running back, um, one of the greatest of all time. But if they do uh, cut his workload back by, you know, even 20, 30 percent, that's going to leave a lot of volume there to be taken by someone. Uh, Darrell Henderson has ridiculous stats. Uh, he They're so had <laughs> like 2,204 uh, 2, yards from scrimmage uh, in 2018, 25 touchdowns, and that was in a timeshare with uh, Tony Pollard, another running back. Um, and uh, I do want to say, another running back out of Memphis. I do want to say Tony Pollard is another uh, late-round steal, but I don't think he's quite as uh, obviously going to be a breakout as Darrell Hunter's going to be. Um, another crazy stat real quick to cover on is over two years, uh, or excuse me, over his three years, he had 8.2 yards per carry in his college career. What the fuck? That's insane value. To, like, sustain that over your three years is unreal. Go ahead, Mike. I, I was just saying, like, like I want to argue with you, Bobby, but, like, I love Darrell Henderson so much. Like, I've made posts about him before. Like, he's awesome, but I'm going to try as hard as I can to play devil's advocate a little bit. So, one thing about Darrell Henderson is he's not particularly good at pass protection, and that is something that is kind of required for you to get on the field as a running back, and that is something that kind of keeps rookie running backs off the field. So... You know what, what? What do you think about that? Because you know, in these situations where you know run pass option, right, where the running back might have to make a block, they're going to be putting in Gurley, or they're going to be putting in Malcolm Brown instead of Darrell Henderson. You know, maybe oh, Malcolm Brown sees more play just because of that pass protection issue. Yeah, to to jump on that. I mean, Malcolm Brown, they did match his contract. I mean, so that that is a little worrisome, but. I think that if you look at the stats, uh, the Rams had the best rushing line of last year. I mean, they don't need that much help from the running back for pass protection. I think, you know, they have like one of the stoutest lines up front. That's why, I mean, not only is Curly amazing, but that's kind of another reason why he was able to put up the production that he did these last couple of years. Um, I think that's something that could be taught. He's obviously an explosive player. The coaches are raving about him. It might just be coach speak, but. There's a few guys on each team that the coaches want to shut up about, and Darrell Henderson is this guy for the Rams. Um, he was third overall selected. This guy went and got before Montgomery uh, off the board. Like the Rams thought he was a better was third it? running back third overall. Running. Yes, yeah. Oh, third running back selected. Okay. Wow. Say, uh, <laughs> no, he wasn't. <laughs> he was not. No, I, no, no, I no, meant no. third, third overall. overall pick. Anyways. Um, I think that the draft capital is obviously there, um, and these are coachable th things, you know, like pass protection. He's going into a Sean Bay offense, like, they know how to develop talent there. I'm just trying to be nitpicky. I'm just trying <laughs> to, like, make you explain things a little bit more. I love this guy. I have such a hard-on for Darrell Henderson. I don't think anyone disagrees with Darrell Henderson. Yeah, I, I don't disagree either. The only knock I have against it, because if he scored 32 touchdowns, it's an anomaly. But you look at his conference... It's the AAC. Do you know what that stands for? No, neither did I. American Athletic Conference. I mean, who do they play? Like they UCF play Navy, and a bunch yeah. of random, yeah, Navy, a bunch of random teams who really don't matter. So yeah, those numbers are a little bit skewed, but I'm also high on him, but I just wanted to 
to say. A good There's point. a possibility he could be an absolute bust, and yeah. all of us are going to look stupid at the end. Could just be an average sized fish in a very tiny pond, You're, I suppose. Ooh, I like that. Um, but I, David Johnson also came out of where I don't even remember. Um, and Washington, there, there you go. much you. bigger bet. And uh, yeah, much bigger, and obviously you know established. But good guys come out of small schools. You know, sometimes people just get missed. Um, I don't think anyone's missing Darrell Henderson right now. You no. probably heard about him already. But I would jump on him somewhere in the top four of rookie draft. Really and, we're, and we might be wrong about it because we only have him in the top six. Yeah, I think yeah, that is. Uh, I think that's going to go up. By the time the draft starts, I yeah. think he's going top three, top four. Absolutely, finishing think, marks, Tyler. I think we all love Darrell Henderson. I'll, I'll say valiant effort to Mike and Nate for trying to come up with some arguments against him, but I think it's, hard, man. it's yeah. pretty much unanimous at the table that Darrell Henderson is uh, is one we want to be on the lookout for. Get him cheap while you can. Exactly, yeah. Mike. Who, Mike, who do you have as your first guy? So, uh, I mean, I'm I'm going to go with a pretty like a, a guy whose consensus is pretty high. David Montgomery, I'm, I'm a huge Bears fan. I'll say, it, this is this is a very wait, biased. Wait, 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 you're a Bears fan. Yeah, yeah, man. That's a Chicago. My Bears. grandma knows Virginia <laughs> McCaskey. No, uh, so uh, this is a very biased selection. Um, but as a person who has the first overall pick in their uh, dynasty rookie draft this year, this is something I've had to think about a lot. Josh Jacobs, uh, David Montgomery. So looking at both of them, David Montgomery is built like a third down back. He's got the measurables. He's got the weight. He's got the height. He's a decent pass catcher. He's also good at picking up blitzes and pass protection. Um, but I also like his situation, and it's not just because he plays for my favorite team. Um, in 2017, under the offensive coordinator, Matt Nagy, the Kansas City Chiefs ranked ninth in rushing yards and first in yards per attempt. So Nagy likes running the ball. He knows how to set up the run. And also in 2017, Kareem Hunt had 272 rushes for 1,300 yards and eight touchdowns. So you can have a bell cow running back under Matt Nagy's offense. Um, Last year, Jordan Howard had 250 rushes, which is a good amount of attempts, and was able to put up 900 yards and nine touchdowns. And... Nobody's even looking at Jordan Howard these days. And I think David Montgomery is a much better scheme fit for the Bears. And I think he's a much more overall talented player than Jordan Howard. Um, You know, he's a very shifty guy. He led the FBS in 2018 with 99 missed tackles. He led the FBS with 99 missed tackles. Like, he is very shifty, very hard to bring down. And, you know, I just think that under Matt Nagy's scheme, he's a very creative, like, play caller. He's just going to excel. Corey, Uh, give me me your bullshit. I just wanted to make a note that uh, not being able to be tackled in college isn't that big of a thing because they don't know how to tackle in college. But also... What do stats matter then? Also, I did want to point out that I am pretty high on Montgomery myself. But there is something to be said when he was playing against the top-rated defenses uh, last year in the NCAA. He was under 100 yards each game. Uh, Had limited uh, productivity when he was playing against top-ranked defenses. And that's something that is pretty concerning considering that defenses, regardless of where you stand, are just much better in the NFL. And I will agree that with that, but... 
in college, you know, he played for Iowa State, and they had a really bad offensive line. You know, I think the Bears will be in scoring position a decent amount of the time. I think they have a lot of talented wide receivers. They have talented pass-catching tight ends. Mitch Trubisky, despite his flaws, is a threat on his legs to some degree and is a decent pass catcher. I think that Matt Nagy can scheme Montgomery, you know, so he's not facing stacked boxes and he's not necessarily the guy that they are focusing on in the offense. So I think that he can do a good job. Um, one thing I will say, um, a big knock on Montgomery is he doesn't have necessarily breakaway speed. Uh, he ran a 4 6 3, 40 during the combine, and that kind of plummeted his draft stock a little bit. But Le'Veon Bell ran a 4 6 0, and we've seen how good you can be with that sort of speed. So, you know, he's just a guy who I think is in a very good position. I think he's a very talented guy, he's a very complete running back. So he's somebody I'm looking to take first or second overall in my rookie draft. I haven't quite decided yet, but, you know, I'm a Bears fan, so <laughs> I probably have decided. Homer. Hey, give me your second person. My second person. I mean, my second person, I've I, I kind of been high on him since he actually came into the league this year, obviously. But I, the reason I'm high on him isn't because he's an athletic freak or anything of that nature. He's a tight end. His name's Kahale Waring, and I doubt anybody has ever heard of him unless – you guys, I mean, we talked tell, about him briefly. Tell us a story, Nate. Yeah, I'll tell know you, who he is. I'll tell you a story. He's a 6'6", 251-pound tight end mm. uh, for the Texans. And if the reason why I like his scenario, because half of fantasy, in my opinion, is having nobody in front of you to actually take your spot, <laughs> right? Be, Volume. Be because the if prettiest you, girl. I mean, yeah, it'd be the prettiest girl in the room. Exactly. And right now, to me, he's the prettiest girl. He's so gorgeous. But, and the reason why is because if anybody could name anybody on the roster for Texans without looking up the depth chart, that would tight be fantastic. Ends? Go ahead. Just tight ends? Yeah, name, name a tight end. No, I can't. You can't, exactly. And the reason why is because we haven't really heard of any of them. Jordan Thomas? You know who that is? He's a 6'6", tight end, 286 pounds. You know what that means? Wow. He's taller He's a, than Khalil Warren. <laughs> yeah. I, <laughs> whatever the fuck his name is. No, no, okay, they're the same height. Wait, you said 6'5". Well, I was wrong. It's 6'6". Six, six. Oh, well. <laughs> yeah. Joke's yeah. on you. 6'6", six, six, 286 pounds. It means he's slow, and he's 40 pounds heavier than you should be <laughs> at that height. Probably runs too many routes. Yeah, probably runs too many routes. Go ahead, Tyler. Here's, here's my concern about Warring, and, and I like the argument, like, they don't have anyone in front of them, mm-hmm. but I think that, you know, he may not have any tight ends in front of him, but he has a lot of competition for targets in front of him. He has... DeAndre Hopkins, who inhales the ball all, all game long, the whole time. Then you have the deep threads. <laughs> the deep threads going to uh, Will Fuller, Kiki Kuti coming across the middle, handling that. Lamar Miller is a decent pass catching back out of the backfield. So I'm not concerned about other tight ends siphoning off his targets. I'm just concerned about... I mean, they've had other, no offense, no-name targets. Like, oh, this is... J.J. Watt lines up his tight end sometimes. Yeah, J.J. Watt. J.J. Watt. So you named one. I'm proud, yeah, of, I'm proud of you, Bobby. I think I would take J.J. Watt over Cahale Waring. Waring. Waring is, for now at least, another no-name tight end, which they've had a ton of, and they haven't utilized them. So I don't know that just because he's big and strong, he's going to walk in and all of a sudden get this elite tight end utilization that you know you hope for. That's a fair assumption. Go ahead, Gore. So... There's nothing off of his stat lines that make me excited about Cahale Waring whatsoever. And even playing with a, for a school like San Diego State, which isn't the best conference in the NCAA, 
He, I mean, his last year, uh, his junior year, 31 receptions on <clears throat> for 372 yards and three touchdowns. Uh, he is, he's six foot five, 252 pounds. He's a big guy, but I just don't see that translating. And also, I don't even remember the last time the Texans had a relevant tight end. Making the case for me. Exactly, and I get it. I mean, we could look at stats all day, but there are so many players in the league right now. I mean, even if you look at, uh, let's go back to Tony Gonzalez. He was a basketball player. Played one, played one season in college for football, and is he going to be in the Hall of Fame? Yeah, sure. Probably. There's diamonds okay. in the rough. So, did Kyle yeah, Warren diamonds. play basketball? <laughs> I wish. Yeah, the no, important exactly. question. The important question. It but does like, translate in the NFL. Okay, absolutely. so realistically, where is it this is a guy that's so under the radar that he is more than likely being undrafted so i don't think any of us have him on our top 20 except for nate yep yeah and that's completely okay with me <laughs> it's just outside mine yeah. i definitely am a fan yeah. Kale warren mm-hmm. uh that they are raving about him in they, camp that's all they're talking and, about and uh it's this beautiful man keep an eye out for a guy he's like the that. Pretty, prettiest guy on the ugliest team yeah. No, but I and that's the thing. I I didn't want to come in here and talk about a guy that everybody's heard of. I want to talk about somebody nobody has ever nobody gives a shit about. And for me, it was Kahale Warring, uh, because this league. I mean, we talk about three guys: Kittle, Ertz, and Travis Kelsey, and then maybe some Ebron. But other than that, I mean, we're riddled with mediocre guys and for me I like a guy that I can stash on my team I would take him with the top 10 pick because I'm a little bit crazy um, but I wouldn't be mad at, mad about it if he comes in and he actually emerges on a team that's going to be a pass happy attack because Lamar Miller is just going to be mediocre you fantasy hipster here I am I'm kind of a hipster you heard right it now. here first he's the you know Cahale is the Kale of the Nate, world Nate, <laughs> Nate was into Kale Warring yeah Nate yeah. was into Kale Warring before Kale it was cool. eating fried you Kale over here yeah exactly yeah. Kale fucking sucks. Kale does suck, but Kale does not. <laughs> Who's your second guy, Bobby? Uh, my second guy is actually the first guy off the board in the draft of 2019, and that is a future mm. Hall of Famer, uh, future Rookie of the Year, Offensive Player of the Year, uh, future NFL MVP, Kyler Murray. Um, I'm sure you've heard so much about him because he's dominating all new cycles uh, this year, but... Kyler Murray, he's a little undersized, obviously, but he has, like, some of the best football sense of any quarterback ever to play the game. Um, In his 2018 season, he threw for over 4,000 yards, 4,361. He got 42 touchdowns in the air. Um, He also, on the ground, ran for over 1,000 yards. Another 12 touchdowns on the ground. And, uh, yeah, led the uh, the Sooners to a 12-1 record. Um... His passer efficiency rating was really interesting to look at. Uh, 199.2. This is the second highest of all time. Uh, the first highest of all time is actually uh, Tua <clears throat> Tagvilovia. Um, the Alabama starter. <laughs> yeah, that one guy. Tua. Tua, yeah. Anyways, he uh, last year also had the best quarterback season of any quarterback in college history. Um, so we can forgive Kyler for coming in second. Um, but Tua's not in the league yet, so we don't even need to worry about that. Um, I think that this is a player, this is like, if you could get uh, RG3 going into his rookie year, if you could get Cam Newton going into Don't his rookie year. Don't manifest an ACL. <laughs> it didn't, Don't this, okay. You're just getting Kyler hurt right yeah. now. Yeah. 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 You're Kyler right. doesn't have to go play on Washington's uh, like shitty field where there's gopher holes every five yards. All right, he's like, Arizona actually has a very nice field. Um, 
there were all the grass outs, let it grow in the sun. It's pretty interesting. Anyways, uh, I think that, yeah, Kyler Murray, he's going in our leagues. He's fallen all the way down to uh, like 14th overall, 13th overall. And I think that for a player like this, someone who is a dual threat, he's not just a running quarterback, he's a transcendent passer as well. On legs. He's like Aaron Rodgers or something like that. Mike, what you got? So so Mr. Transcendent Passer only had one full year as a starter after being behind Baker Mayfield. Baker Mayfield? Okay. If the, like who else could <laughs> you would not have been behind anyone else? Okay, I forgot Baker Mayfield is also transcendent. He's good, but I wouldn't say he's quite transcendent yet. So he was in I, college. I think the only thing that Kyler Murray is going to be leading the league in is trips to the medical tent because the Arizona O-line was ranked 27th in pass pro in 2018 and allowed 52 sacks last year. And that's yeah. the fifth most in the league. So he's going to have to scramble. Yeah, yeah. Minimi is going to die behind that O-line. Okay, like, how many of like do you remember uh, Carson Palmer were injured last year? Their entire O-line was injured last year, and they're all coming back. It's going to be a very different situation on the Cardinals O-line than it was last year. They're not going to be dead last. You guarantee that. I mean, and that's also discounting the fact that this is a completely new offense, and it's already being said that they're going to be running about 80% of their plays from the shotgun. So Kyler Murray is going to have much more time than Josh Rosen ever did to get the ball out because... They were not operating that way under fucking Mike McCoy's goddamn offense. And I'm sorry, I I started out with this draft process not wanting Kyler Murray for the Arizona Cardinals. I'm an Arizona Cardinals fan. I believed in Rosen. But looking at game film, the way that he throws the football, his sidearm throw is goddamn incredible. Yes, to, to jump on that, he has that uh, shortstop playing style that people allude to Russell. Oh, yeah. Uh, how many players have been drafted drugs. in the top ten of two sport drafts? Baseball and football. Okay, so when Cliff Kingsbury, Chip Kelly's your offense, like, then what's going to happen to Kyler Murray? Kyler yeah. Murray is still going to be on the team. That's a, definitely a worrisome probability. Yes, Cliff Kingsbury has a shit record coming out of college. He does not know how to win. No but, NFL experience. But... Kyler Murray doesn't know how to lose. The man didn't lose a single game in high school. He lost, like, not very... Maybe won it against Alabama at the very end of last year, but we don't need to talk about that. It's not hard to lose that many games when you play 13 games as a starter in college. Yeah, and light the league on fire. He has accuracy. That's one of the best statistics that you really do look for in a quarterback. You always hope that this guy with his big arm is going to succeed and maybe somehow become more accurate. It never happens. But Kyler Murray already has that accuracy. I think he is going to develop. I think he'll still be in Arizona long after, hopefully, Kingsbury stays. But if things don't work out with Kingsbury, I think Kyler Murray, they're not going to get rid of their first overall pick again like they did last year. By a time. About two years definitely, in a row. Definitely agree that they're not shipping him out next year. But um, I, I actually agree. I think that Kyler Murray is a very interesting card. I think he's going to be fascinating to watch play football. I'm really excited about it. I think it's going to be just, it's going to be really good for the sport to have him in the game. But. I personally, and this is my argument against him, I love him as a player, like I said, I don't value drafting quarterbacks that highly in, I mean, outside of, let's say, a 16-man, 18-man dynasty league, I think quarterbacks are plentiful in the NFL, serviceable quarterbacks. If you have two quarterbacks, you can string together a decent season, a QB1 season, pretty easily, like, without a ton of trouble. So I think that investing a first-round pick in Kyler Murray 
maybe a little bit misguided. I think that you can find quarterback quarterback production elsewhere, and then you're going to get valuable running back and wide receiver production in the first round when you when you pick Kyler Murray instead. And then one last thing I just want to touch on that we were talking about earlier with Hakeem Butler um, and all these fascinating weapons that Kyler's going to have in Arizona. We have Larry Fitzgerald, David Johnson, uh, Christian Kirk, uh, Andy Isabella, and Hakeem Butler. Uh, not to mention whoever plays tight end. We don't know. Ricky Seals-Jones. It's going to be fascinating. We're not going to know for sure until it gets closer on. But let's move on. Mike, who's your next player? Moving on from bust Kyler Murray, we're going on to Devin Singletary, who <laughs> I didn't really know a whole lot about before I started researching him, but now I am enamored with this guy. So this guy played for Florida Atlantic. Who knows where that is? Uh, but he had Florida some amazing production uh, in 2017 and 2018. 2017, he had over 2,000 yards from scrimmage and 33 touchdowns. 33 touchdowns. And he followed that up with a less impressive, but still impressive, 1,400 yards from scrimmage and 22 touchdowns. 22 touchdowns. Yeah, 22 touchdowns. What a scrub. It's no that's, that's fucking insane. Fucking insane. That 32 touchdowns led the nation. And that same year, he was fourth in the nation in rushing yards with just under 2,000. So, this guy is going in the second round of Dynasty drafts, and, you know, I get it. He's kind of a smaller guy. He comes from a small school and a, a conference I had probably never heard of before. But people are comparing him to a poor man's LaShawn McCoy. Speaking of LaShawn McCoy, who is now 30 and hasn't played a full season uh, well, actually, he's only played one full season since 2014. I think this guy is going to very quickly ascend the depth chart. We have LaShawn McCoy, which I already talked about. Frank Gore's 36. Like, Old holy, faithful. holy shit, man. Like, when is this guy going to retire? Like, 36. That's insane. Frank the Tank. You know, and then you also have TJ Yeldon, but TJ Yeldon has never really proved himself as a three-down back or really more than a change of pace back. I think Singletary, like, production has just followed him everywhere he's gone. I see this guy ascending the depth chart as these guys kind of take a back seat and kind of, you know, settle down, and he's going to light Buffalo on fire. I think I think that more so than a lot of players, the fact that he did play for Florida Atlantic is is relevant when it comes to Singletary. Um, the reason being is that his size attributes don't actually they leave a little bit to be desired. He's undersized. He doesn't. He's not the fastest player. He's not really great in pass protection. So there's a lot of stuff. And and this honestly, it goes a little bit back to my argument against DK Metcalf, where. You can be bigger and faster than everybody on the field, especially if you play for Florida Atlantic. But <laughs> if you don't have the technique coming into the NFL, then you're going to struggle. Well, so I do agree with that. He doesn't have great breakaway speed. He's not great about pass protection necessarily, but he is a good pass catcher. And in 2017, he finished second nationally in both missed tackles and total breakaway yards. Yeah, I think, I think there's definitely potential. I'm very interested to see what he learns from LaShawn McCoy and Frank Gore and how he uses that going there's, forward. There's just so much talent there 
that it, it, it's hard to kind of discount him. And, you know, he's going so low in dynasty drafts right now that I think that he is just somebody you should totally snap up. You know, he's not going to necessarily, like, blow up this year or possibly even next year. But, you know, three years from now, I think that we are all going to be talking about Devin Singletary in redraft leagues all the time. So, you know, that's my guy. I like him. I have him way too low. I think I have him in, like, 25th. Honestly, he's way too low in my rankings, too. I'm going to move him up now because I love him so much. <laughs> yeah, I'm feeling pretty good. Yeah, I saw that uh, missed tackle stats, like, kind of insanely higher. I think the next highest was Alexander Madison. Who? Um, yeah. Uh, <laughs> and he had 68, so he's... Uh, 30, almost 30 missed tackles above the next it's guy. It's insane. He's just like, he just knows how to run. Yeah. Like, and he can't teach being invisible and not being able to be touched. Like Tariq Cohen. Yeah, like I mean, Tariq Cohen. He is he is a poor man's Tariq Cohen. A lot of poor men in here. Every older word. There's, there's so many poor men in this room. <laughs> the dregs of the dynasty drafts. The dregs of the dynasty drafts. That's I right. do want to point out, like, it is possible that him playing in a conference like that maybe leads to having so many uh, missed tackles. Maybe nobody in the Atlantic Conference knows how to tackle. Right. That's why it was so successful. I mean, not a lot of tacklers at Rice University. Something to consider. That's true. It's just, I mean, it comes down to situation as well. You're going to be a mediocre back, and if the opportunity arises, which it will, because. Frank Gore will get injured one day, and LaShawn McCoy is also injury-prone. I think I think you made a good case for Devin Singletary, and I think we all have him a little bit too low, especially myself. I have him way too low. I don't even remember where I have him, but I know I have him way too low. Either way, I think I have him at 25th. Uh, but anyway, moving forward, uh, hey, guys, I mean, listen, all of these rankings will be on our website. Again, the easiest way to get there is actually by following us on Instagram at Laces Out Fantasy Football. You get a lot of great insight. We post three times a day, most days. But hey, uh, we're trying to grow our following. We want to hear your guys' comments. What do you think about what we had to say about our rankings? But hey, we're out of here. We're done drinking. I feel way too good. And uh, we appreciate you guys' time. We'll talk to you soon. Later, guys. Peace. Peace. Later. Later.